Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. At the 2018 Pod Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference, Eli Lilly's Dr. Christopher Kolvichik discussed the role of digital biomarkers in the impact on drug delivery. I am delighted to share this discussion that provides a framework which stratifies key components and advances the concept of contextualized biomarkers. Please note that the 2019 pod conference takes place in Boston on October 7th and 8th. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much for the kind introduction. I want to thank the conference forum for inviting me here to give this talk. Thanks especially to Val for organizing this. It's been a great event. I'm very excited to be here and speak to you about some of the looks we're giving at Lilly on just how we implement drug delivery in the future, specifically around digital biomarkers. So this work was largely derived in partnership with many of you who saw the keynote talk this morning, Justin Wright, now at Novartis. So this was a thought experiment him and I did in collaboration with some of our Lilly colleagues about a year ago. So remember this slide this morning, Justin talked about how we've really taken, started back early 1900s with the Food and Drug Act. We started looking at safety and efficacy of drugs, where you just had drugs. The safety and efficacy was how you develop them. So he moved all the way to just the outcomes, the interventions, the impact to the patient. I want to take a snapshot of that and kind of blow up the timeline from going back about 30 years. When we really started to look at, it's not just about the drug anymore. We can actually have advantages in looking at how we deliver the device. I think in the last panel, they talked about Trulicity, a Lilly product which has actually done, might I say, better than expected in the market because of the experience that the device has offered the patient. So if you look back 30 years when you first started looking at devices and delivery, we're really looking at increased convenience or adherence. Well, yesterday there was two very good talks talking about adherence, so Kevin Dean from Philips, really looking at why are we spending millions of dollars trying to decrease the cost of printed circuit boards, of molded components, when you can make a direct correlation, if I can just increase adherence 1%, I don't have to do that, but yet we're doing it. Adherence is very hard. Another talk given by Kevin Schmidt was around just looking at an oral drug, right? Simple as take this pill at this time on this schedule, and for every 100 prescriptions written, 25 are actually followed. And here we have complexity of devices. We're going to talk about closed-loop systems, a device far more complex than most of what we're talking about, especially an oral drug. And how do we really drive adherence? So now when we start looking at the outcomes-based approach in drug delivery, delivery now means not just one delivery system, sorry, not one product, but a combination of products, like a closed-loop system, comprised of, say, in the diabetes space, you have a glucose monitor, you have an insulin pump, you have a control algorithm. Really, you're pulling those together to provide a more effective outcome, and that's driving up value to the patient. And ultimately, what we're really targeting at is interventions, so feedback loops. So now we have smartphones, we get a lot of data. The question is, so what? What are we doing with that data? And really, that's what we're here to talk about today, how we can really take from the origins of drug development to the information provided the patient, combining all the drug, the delivery device, the systems and the information, and how do you really close the loop for patients? So if we look at the term digital biomarker in drug delivery, so biomarkers have a very long-standing definition. You know, you look at diabetes, you have HbA1c. On cancer, you have you know, the breast cancer gene. In the delivery space, what is digital biomarker to us? We really believe that it's really founded by three ideals. One is if we look at the advancements in overall sensing technologies, consumer electronics. How many of you in the room wear a Fitbit or some Apple Watch or some monitoring? Raise your hand. So a large number of you. Just the increase in the granularity, the accuracy, the resolution of these devices really enable us to 
pool a lot of data together to provide more outcomes to our patients. The second piece of it is the analytical side. Our ability to collect data, this whole conference has looked at collecting data from patients. Again, so what? We want to do something with that data. You're collecting a lot of data from patients, but if you're not providing insights back to them, one might say it's almost useless. I mean, ultimately, we talk a lot about patient centricity, the user experience. If the user is not utilizing this data, utilizing the data from their Apple Watch or their Fitbit, also pointless. A great example is I like to use the Fitbit, right? I've walked 12,134 steps today. Great. Now what? What do I do with that? Am I going to walk more steps today? Do I recommend you walk less steps? Do I recommend you walk steps at different times during the day? So we believe the combination of these is really what's driving the term digital biomarker in the device space. If we look in the last decade, and this slide's a little outdated, again, this just speaks to the overall increase in digital health prevalence and funding. If you told some of my Lilly colleagues who have been there far longer than I 30 years ago that decades later Lilly would be playing in the digital health space, I think a lot of people would question that. Nowadays, most companies represented in this room are playing the space. Tenfold increase in digital funding, lots of partnerships. Again, there's a whole conference organized around partnerships, but companies you never thought would play in the bio space or the med tech space years ago was, do we really think Google can play in a regulated space, they have no experience with the agency. Do we believe that med tech companies, I came from Beckton Nicholson prior to Lilly, do we believe that med tech companies could play in a space where there's a lot of data analytics and build out their capabilities there? What we're seeing is just a lot of partnerships, a lot of increased funding, and that's what we're gonna talk about. So if we look at what we call domains, Justin Wright spoke about this this morning in the physiological domain, you know, you're taught in med school the six basic fundamentals of this. Let's consider a physiological metric. So I like to use patient stories. So let's consider we have Ronald. He's a hog farmer from Anderson, Indiana, a couple hours outside in Indianapolis. So he's got some pain in his lungs. His eyesight's troubled. He wants to go see a doctor, and he wants to get some feedback on what's going on. So he's got a call ahead. He's got to book a calendar appointment, goes to see his primary care physician. They say, well, you really need to see a specialist for this. That specialist is in Chicago. That's three hours away. So now Ronald's taking a whole day off work away from his farm. He's got to have someone go with him because he can't drive that far by himself. He's got to wait months because it's a long list to get into this specialist in Chicago. So he goes there. He gets a chest x-ray, which you'll see why I mentioned this. It's a measurement at a single point in time. So he's getting one measurement at that time. Looks at the x-ray. Clinician says, well, we can't see anything. We advise you just rest until you feel better. So ultimately, all the burden that Ronald went under to go get that single point in time discrete measurement, and he has no insight into why he's feeling bad, what to do, underwent all that burden, he's probably not very motivated to go back and get health. And this is really what we're trying to get away from. 97% of U.S. healthcare spend is currently focused on disease management instead of disease prevention. And that's really what we're trying to put forward here is this framework that would flip that the other way. Really, disease prevention is what we want to get at. So we propose this framework, and I'll walk everybody through this. So the crux of it is we're trying to bring the behavioral domain and an environmental domain, complement that with the physiological domain. So if you consider the situation we just talked about with Ronald and the chest x-ray, you could say that's a first order or direct measurement. Characteristics of such a measurement are their single point in time, you don't get any insight from it other than that one measurement. It's not continuous. If you want continuity in the data, you have to take multiple measurements over time. That's largely the state of most of the disease spaces that we play in today. 
Taken a step further, you could look at what you might call an indirect measurement. Take it, we call it the second order. A great example in diabetes is that would be like a continuous glucose measurement. So you're not directly measuring the variable itself, in this case with plasma glucose level. You're measuring interstitial glucose, which has a relation to plasma glucose with a time delay. So again, powerful, potentially more continuous, but still limited insight to the patient. You're still only really playing in that physiological domain. Where the power comes in, and Justin Ray talked about this morning, is what you call composite metric. So you're starting to pull together multiple variables at continuous points in time. Together, one of those variables alone may not give you any insight into managing your disease state, but when you pull them together, we have sophisticated algorithms, we have lots of data. We can pull these together and derive insights that were previously unattainable. Diabetes isn't the best example for this, but consider a disease like Alzheimer's disease, right? We have no therapy for preventing Alzheimer's, right? But there's studies out showing that if you pull together multiple variables, gait, blink rate, physical location, diet, you can start to understand years ahead if you're going to have Alzheimer's or not, what you can do about it early on before it's too late. And ultimately, the fourth order, so take my composite metric, which has multiple variables pulled together, now ladder in the environment. And that's really where the user experience comes in. How are you feeling? Are you traveling? One great example of how you might look at this, a lot of us wearing wearables, right? Heart rate. So I have an elevated heart rate right now. Is it because I'm up on stage in front of multiple people? Is it because I just climbed a flight of stairs to get here? Is it because, let's say we were in Denver, Colorado, and my heart rate's elevated because we're at elevation? This is all an example of where context comes in. You wouldn't know this otherwise. If you're just monitoring the heart rate, so a direct measurement, you don't have any of this information that might explain why you have an elevated heart rate. Um, so ultimately, this contextualized composite metric, you're bringing in intrinsic, extrinsic factors, and that's really where you combine the physiological, the behavioral, and the environmental domain. So let's look at an example. So we talked about diabetes. It's one of my favorite examples because everyone's familiar with it. There's products on the market that do this. So closing the loop in diabetes, we have, you're measuring the blood glucose. That's your metric you're measuring. You could do this via a continuous glucose monitor. A control algorithm is taking that input and making a dosing decision on how much insulin to give. And that's really your intervention, my insulin delivery. Then you keep going around that loop. So again, this is an example of probably a second-order measurement. So you're indirectly interrogating the blood glucose via CGM, but you still have no idea about the behavior or environment, which are well-known in the diabetes space to influence glycemic control. So now let's expand from diabetes to what we like to call clinical feedback loop, okay? So we're generalizing in the center there four areas. So I have my metric, that was blood glucose, my sensor, it's a CGM, my device, that's sort of your dosing algorithm, and your disease intervention, which is insulin delivery via a pump. And this is where I really want to bring in the players playing this game, right? It's not just the clinician and the patient. In the last 10, 20 years, we start to bring engineering and science into this. And one of the points we want to make here is to really bring in behavior and environment into this. It's going to require a focused effort from multiple disciplines. So if we look at, on the right, the disease intervention, that's largely a collaboration of the patient and the doctor, okay? So what do I have to do? I have to deliver insulin to keep my blood sugar under control. Now one point is, and we talk a lot about this, and I'm an engineer, so let's look at the engineer side of it. Engineers and patients interact on the device. Well, the clinician may not necessarily care about what device the patient is wearing. All they care about is, give me the data so I can make an intervention decision. And so 
If we look at, on the bottom left, you have a scientist, per se. Scientists and clinicians work together to derive the metrics, you know, blood glucose for diabetes. That interaction is what governs how accurate and resolute the measurement is. The patient doesn't care that you're measuring blood glucose. They don't care about the accuracy, the resolution of that. All they care about is what device do I have to wear and what's my system or my clinician telling me to do. So really the point here is that you really start to bring in, if we're really focused on the patient use of the device, the patient relationship with the clinician, we can bring engineering and science in, and that's largely what's happened in our industry, bringing in med tech, pharma, big data companies that really are going to allow us to do stuff like this, bring in behavioral environmental domains. You can see on the bottom there too, so just illustrating all the interactions, the closed loop right now is mostly physiological. There's very few examples, if any, in not even the consumer wearable space or the healthcare, where you're really bringing in this behavioral or environmental domain into the equation. So if we look at going from first to fourth order, or so from this direct measurement to the contextualized composite, there's some trends, right? If we look at the digital biomarker from a monitoring standpoint, characteristics of the direct measure, right, both for the biomarker itself and for the patient, we talked about this, biomarker is discrete, single point in time. This context of thin and thick data, so data is very thin for direct measurements. The idea of thin data is, I do a clinical trial with 100 subjects and I measure one variable. Well, all that tells me is that one variable at single points in time for a large patient population, okay? It's open loop. There's intervention required. Someone has to do something. It's not automatic. And really, what does it mean for the patient? That's the ultimate value, right? So the patient has to actively participate in their therapy. They have to make decisions. It's high friction to them. Think about the patient's story, what Ronald had to do to go figure out that his lungs were not feeling well, all the work he had to do to get that one measurement at a single point in time. And also they had no insight. It was a very limited insight with just measuring one metric at a time. You move to this laddering in behavioral and environmental. That's where you look at continuous data. The opposite of thin data would be thick. I have a 100-person study, but I'm measuring 15 variables. I get a lot of information. You're closing the loop. You're taking the patient out of the equation. You're making their life easier. It's a passive participation. They don't even think about it. Low friction. Ultimately, what you're really after is high-value insights. So how do you get to the contextualized composite metric? There's really three things that enable this. It's the digital enablement that we've seen in the past 5, 10, 15 years, we've got more accurate, more data we can get. You're moving from disease management to disease prevention because ultimately you're getting insights to the patient that allow you to make decisions and take action earlier. So if you look at diabetes, what would diabetes look like if we expanded this to behavioral and environmental? Okay? And a lot of this work is going on if you look at Medtronic came out with the first hybrid closed-loop system two years ago, and a lot of groups are looking at starting to ladder up Fitbits with taking this heart rate information and putting it into the loop. So what this really is, is you're adding in, so here I have an activity tracker, you're getting that behavioral information, and you're getting environmental. One example is GPS. Where are you right now? Are you traveling? Do you have a death in the family? User prompts on our user interfaces, very important to allow us to expand that closed-loop get the additional domains in. One of the things that's really neat about, if you're looking at this holistically across multiple therapeutic areas, and we've been talking about diabetes, but okay, so what? It only applies to one single disease state. So one thing we tried to do was, let's look at every single therapeutic area that Lily plays in, and we actually did this. We took the whole portfolio and just pressure tested this every single space, rheumatoid arthritis, neurodegenerative disease. So a couple examples I thought were interesting. So you have diabetes we've talked about. Consider on the right, so Alzheimer's disease. So this clinical feedback closed loop would 
is a little different because since you don't have an intervention, there's not actually a drug that prevents Alzheimer's, your drug is sort of the caregiver. So someone caring for you, helping you manage that, that inside the closed loop there. And another ultimate example, it was mentioned this morning, if you believe that in 50 years, everyone sitting in this room will work for wellness companies, so all pharmaceutical companies will call them wellness companies, what about overall wellness? Is that a clinical feedback loop? So in this case, your intervention is lifestyle, diet, what you eat, how you exercise. So the middle loop would be an example of just having an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Whoop, any of this. That just gives you that information to allow you to make controlled decisions, all of which take into account this behavior on this environmental domain. And just to wrap up, so if we take it a step further and we say, well, is there a fifth order? But ultimately, if you look at value or interpretive value to the patient, at the first order is very little value. That's mostly where we're playing. You look at wearables or just interventions on the market, you're largely in that first and second order. You go to composite, you really start to shift the curve to go provide more value to your patient. What is the fifth order after environmental? It's this population health. You look at some of these studies, um, Google's doing the baseline study, just trying to collect thick data, a lot of information. The NIH study, all for me. I encourage everyone to sign up for that. They're looking for a million participants to monitor health over 10 years. Think about the data that they're going to get in that population health circle. So not only just for given disease states or wellness states, but for different localized populations. That's really where we see this going in the future. A lot of this is, I want to say pie in the sky, but there's very little technology out there that would allow us to do this. So it's going to really take a concerted effort in the industry to really collaborate across these boundaries that are non-traditional to allow this to happen. So I want to thank, again, everybody for sticking around till the end. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Pod 2018. The Pod 2019 event takes place October 7th and 8th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org.